faithful noise unto you. As we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit will speak to us and we'll hear exactly what it is that we need to hear and we will take opportunity um, to instruct our life for the future, to grow in relationship to each other and in relationship to you. And we thank you for that opportunity to do that here today. Thank you for the abilities that you've given us to transmit even beyond the borders of these four walls, Lord, and I pray that this would be a blessing. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So before I get started today, I thought it would be appropriate if I, uh, I address something uh, from last week's sermon. Uh, so it's come to my attention that I need to clarify a little bit of information, uh, just real quick. So footloose is not the origin of the phrase, dancing is a perpendicular expression with a horizontal desire, just so you're aware. Uh, other ways to say that, of course, is dancing is a vertical position with a horizontal intention. Those phrases, at best, can be maybe traced back, it's kind of murky, but maybe to Oscar Wilde, which appears to be the first time those things have appeared in print. I was not attempting to tie those two things together as if they were the same. They were two different examples, and I was sloppy, and I apologize. I will try to make myself more clear in today's sermon so that I don't have to do this again. Now, with that understanding, <clears throat> everything else that I said during the sermon still stands. It was a good sermon. Now, today's sermon will be good as well. We're going to continue on with our study of the lust of flesh, and particularly relationship-wise. We're turning our attention to how it is that we can honor God in our relationship, and our friendships. So how it is that we bring honor to God in our friendships. I know it's a little bit tamer than last, uh, last sermon's subject matter, but it's all the more important because uh, though we may go out and we may or may not have sex, all of us have friends. So this is definitely something that we need to discuss. So... We talked a little bit about the fact that God presents himself in relationship to us. We took ourselves all the way back to the garden. We laid down a foundation of, uh, of what, what it looked like when man was created, how God took great pains to make sure that uh, man was uh, created and felt whole, that he felt complete, that he felt that he had a companion to help me. Uh, as all of the animals were brought to Adam and he saw their interactions with each other and he named them and categorized them, uh, he came to understand that he was lacking something that even they had at that point in time. And God took that opportunity then to create for him a companion, a helpmate, uh, out of his own flesh. The... The need for relationship is, is something that we all innately have. Now, you could point out and say, well, you got, you know, you got those hermits, right? Those people that live cut off from society. 
or to put it in a religious category, you got those monks, right? That they go off and they secure themselves in a monastery and have very limited physical contact and that type of thing. Um, those are exceptions. There are exceptions, and their life is lacking because they do need relationship. They do need friendship. They require... They require something else in their life that they're hoping to find as they, uh, in, the, in the case of the monks, as they attend themselves to God to seek out the fulfillment of that. Um, like I said, it's an exception. We uh, do seek to fulfill that with a relationship with God, but we can see clearly that God has put people around us that he wants us to interact with. Our very lives from the very beginning, are not separate and incomplete. Uh, we talked about how when we were born, uh, we had that familiarity of relationship from inside the womb, and we bring that outside the room, womb as we attempt to um, relate and find comfort in those sounds, uh, in our needs being met. Um, it's all built on relationship. Now, relationship with your mother is not necessarily different, and we'll get into families next week, but it is slightly different than friendships. Friendships are relationships that we generally put ourselves into kind of on a voluntary basis. There are a few people that maybe have been forced into relationship one way or another. Uh, the only way that's happened has been tied in with family for me, you know, Anecdotally, uh, I was forced into a relationship with my stepbrother, right? So I went from being an only child to being the youngest child by nine days, right? Suddenly, suddenly this guy, and I have nothing in common with him, but now we're, we're friends. Technically, you know, according to legal standards, we're not even stepbrothers anymore because there was a divorce involved, what have you, but we're, we're still friends. Um, but those are types of relationships that you're forced into. Uh, when you go to work, uh, when you go to school, you are put into a specific container, a specific environment, and you immediately seek to find comfort in that. And one of the ways that comfort is sought is to develop relationships or friendships with those people. Uh, this day and age, uh, we have uh, social media, right? So we can have tons of friends just one click away. And we can communicate with them instantly, and they can spout whatever they want with no consequences, and we can do the same back to them. And then we'll get canceled. But <clears throat> now, I mentioned last week, but I want to continue with it here, so that's why I'm mentioning it now. We need to go back foundationally. Friendship, obviously, is not a modern invention. It's something that humanity has actually uh, strove, uh, strove, striven, we'll go with striven, striven for. That sounds right. Someone who's a, into grammar and stuff can correct me later, but there's been a, a strive to attain friendship, and even to understand the fundamentals of it. 
Uh, during this pandemic, we've seen what lack of relationship and, and friendship can do as we appear to be cut off uh, in such a way that not even our social media and our digital uh, you know, video calls and, and texting uh, just is it's not possible for it to replace it. So if we look foundationally, as we look back, uh, there's a couple of different things that I would like to lay down for you. Has anybody ever heard of the Dunbar number? Some of you may have. Uh, the Dunbar number is named after sociologist Robin Dunbar, which says that a single person can participate only in a limited number of relationships. At any given time, human beings have a range of possible acquaintances between 1 to 200 people. That's 100 to 200 people. With an average maximum amount of 150 stable relationships. So the Dunbar number, the average is 150 stable relationships that you're able to maintain. A stable relationship is one that involves people with whom you come into regular contact with. You can recognize their face, their name, you can interact with them at some basic level, and they constitute a circle of influence for you. Now you may say, but James, we have social media. I have more than 150 people friended on Facebook. So do I. But social media has actually very little impact on the Dunbar number. We can friend people in our social media, and these so-called friendships are superficial. They're not really developed, right? I have people that I haven't spoken to, met up with, interacted with in 30 years, almost 40 years. Because I too am old enough to be a classic but use modern language. So I can keep up with them, but I don't have any reasonable interaction on a regular, regular basis with them. Yes, it's great to see that some of, uh, some of my old friends from that time period, uh, my friend from middle school who lived in the house behind us when we lived in a cul-de-sac and it was the next street over, uh, his youngest daughter just turned 18, so I, you know, I put a thumbs up, you know, congratulations. That's not a meaningful interaction. Even if I did put some words to it, it's not really a meaningful interaction. Um, my uh, sister-in-law, married to my half-brother, uh, she posted, she posts a lot, by the way, she posted a uh, picture of a, an ultrasound. Uh, I have another new nephew that's on the way. I put a heart on Instagram. That's not a meaningful interaction. So social media actually has very little impact on the Dunbar number. Um, somewhere around the Dunbar total of 150, we become incapable of adding new friendships without letting other friendships go. It's about what we can maintain. If we take it back even further, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, who lived more than 2,000 years before the discovery of the Dunbar number, uh, understood the importance of having friends, and he actually wrote extensively on the topic. Uh, you can read his writings titled The Nicomachean Ethics. Nicomachean Ethics. 
Basically, to sum it all up, the subtext is everyone needs friends. That's, that's deep, right? Everyone needs friends. For without friends, no one would choose to live, though he had all other goods. Now, just to put that in context, even, even the, today, uh, you can look in the news stories and you can see what Aristotle is spouting to be true um, right now. Uh, the month of October, uh, Japan, I mentioned this before, Japan had more deaths due to suicide than it did to uh, the pandemic. This was caused from the isolation. They had actually up to that point done rather well in containing the pandemic. Uh, in the last couple of months, they've had uh, spreading as they had opened their society back up. Uh, but without that person-to-person -person human interaction, without the, that drive, there, there's just something that was lacking. Uh, even, was it yesterday or, or Friday, uh, Governor Brown had to explain why she was prioritizing uh, the vaccination of school children and teachers uh, because she was worried about uh, children's suicide, specifically because of lack of interaction with others their age, lack of friendships. So even today, that, that which Aristotle has proposed seems to be borne out in society, at least that thought process, right? See, Aristotle distinguishes between those that are closest to us and the people that are further removed and clarifies that every form of friendship involves some type of association, right? So there is some type of interaction or associations. Now, associations come in various forms, but they're categorized in um, uh, two basic headings, right, broad ones. Uh, your close friends and regular acquaintances. Can it, are we still on the same page with Aristotle here, right? Close friends, regular acquaintances. Um, According to Aristotle, a person's inner circle is what he calls the friendship of kindred and that of comrades, containing immediate family and best friends. We rely on those people for emotional, physical, and spiritual needs, and regular acquaintances that fill our lives uh, are all are populate, uh, our wider range of experience. Let me reread that. The regular acquaintances that fill our lives populate our wider range experiences of our fellow citizens, our fellow tribesmen, fellow voyagers, and the like. All of these people matter, says Aristotle, because life is dynamic and hard and times are not always prosperous and full of glee. Now, under those two broad headings, we have three types of friendship. There's the first level of friendship, which is based on pleasure. They're drawn together because of a pleasure of some type that they have in common. Uh, they like the same music. They have the same hobbies. Uh, the second level of friendship is based on what Aristotle calls utility. Uh, he's referring to friendships in which a person helps the other achieve some type of goal, not because we want to see each other prosper, but because of what we hope to get from the relationship. This is the type of relationship that you most likely see at, say, like a work types of situation, right? Uh, or if you're starting your own business, what is it you're supposed to do? You're supposed to network, get yourself in front of people. 
develop relationships that help you to achieve a specific goal. The third level of friendship is a higher one and better than the others. This kind of friendship is based on seeking what uh, Aristotle called the good. The good goes back to Plato. It is the highest form of source uh, or source of all that exists. Friendship requires a pact between two persons based on goodwill flowing in both directions. Good friends comes about when a relationship gradually <laughs> when a relationship gradually forms between two people who are looking for the highest good for each other and thus choose to inhabit shared environments in order to achieve that end. Aristotle also says that that type of friendship is rare for it requires shared time and space, good people uh, reciprocating commitment and love to each other more than themselves. Aristotle's notions of friendship has been very influential in the history of ideas, uh, but you'll find that that's pretty much where he stops. Uh, the good is kind of vague, right? It doesn't complete enough. So then we move towards uh, someone who adds some more substance to uh, what Aristotle had to say on friendship. Uh, we turn to uh, Augustine of Hippo. Augustine takes the approach that friendship gives, uh, pardon me, takes an approach to friendship that gives more of a Christian type approach to it. So he takes Aristotle, he adds Christ to it, and uh, focuses that third level of relationship the good, so that it's more concise as to what it is. Uh, while he recognizes that philosophers arrive at some truths, such as love of country and loyalty of friendship, Augustine expresses concern that they are ignorant of the end, which is that all things be referred and standards by which they are assessed, which is, of course, the creator, God, the ultimate good, as it were. Now, Augustine, in his book, The City of Gods, uh, unpacks this a little bit more. He says, we are commanded to love by the two greatest commandments, as Jesus calls them. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our strength, to this good we must be led by those who love us, and to it we must be led by those whom we love. Now, it might sound familiar to you, right? Except you replace good with God. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 22. So Matthew 22, and if you look at 37 through 40. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and what it demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. So Augustine takes Aristotle. He grows upon that a more a defined definition of the good 
and basically replaces the good with an understanding of the concept of what we should be bringing to God. So what does friendship that's honoring to God look like? Which of those three levels that, uh, that uh, Aristotle laid out, that Augustine built on top of, should we be um, spending the most of our time? Uh, should we be focusing our attentions to? If our intention as Christians is to live in friendship with others, what does it actually look like? Are there any examples that we could follow? Certainly we can follow the way of the world. Um, for those of you that are uh, you know, in the working world, you have plenty of relationships that, um, that are there pretty much at that second level, right? You're forced into relationship with people that you have very little in common with, so it's not a friendship of pleasure, the first one, although you might find some commonality with them. Um, it's more one of fulfilling needs or a way to get somewhere, so that's that second tier, right? And it's possible that as you come into contact with these people that some of them may develop into more of the third level. But we have responsibilities at every single one of those levels as Christians. We can't uh, stick to just that kind of uh, striation. Uh, I have a responsibility at work. Now, at work, I kind of blow this Dunbar number idea out of the water here. At work, I associate on a regular, consistent basis with 300 people. And that's not counting the people I interact on the phone. That's just the people at work. Now, the difference... Uh, here this year is that I don't actually see them in person for the most part because we're working at home. But I regularly interact, recognize their names, recognize their faces, have a, uh, an interaction that is based purely on that second tier, the need to fulfill something and to achieve something. Now, I'm not being selfish in that, that's, that's the reality. When I'm at work, my goal and my purpose at work is to achieve the work goals. However, my purpose as a Christian supersedes that need. So in every interaction, though it is uh, technically forbidden for me to talk about religion, to talk about uh, what it is that I do outside of work, it's not, a, it's not a jacket that I put on and take off. It is who I am. So every single interaction that I have with those 300 people looks a specific way. I am not a different person there as I am here. I am the same. So one of the things that I've learned through my life experiences is that the, the idea of being somebody different um, depending on who you're around, doesn't actually work. It, it doesn't fulfill anything. It gives you nothing but emptiness. I talked last week about the fact that in junior high and high school, I was who I needed to be, right? So I was the band geek. I was the, the nerd. I was the, the jock. I fulfilled all of those tasks, depending on who it was that I was hanging around. Fortunately for me, it never got really complicated because, you know, I was never one of the jocks having to attack the band geeks or anything, but 
that wasn't fulfilling. If anything, that left, a, that left me to be lacking, floundering, because there was no relationship that was built on a commonality, because there was no commonality. I was whoever I needed to be and liked whatever I needed to like. When I began to take seriously my relationship with Christ, when I took seriously my relationship with God, that's when I stopped being whoever I was around. I started being the person that God created me to be. There was a fundamental shift in how I acted, a fundamental shift in how I interacted with other people. And I finally began to define who I was as a person. So it's interesting, when I joined, uh, joined myself with Christ, when I started to uh, listen to what I was being told by God's word, when I joined uh, into the, the community of faith, I didn't lose myself. I became myself. That's the opposite of what I was told would happen. I began to understand the role that I had to play in other people's lives and the role that others had to play in my lives. Now, fortunately for us, as we go along the world, we don't have to just glean from what's happening around us, from the people that we've previously associated with or still do associate with, uh, what it looks like to have a friendship that honors God. The Bible is filled with many examples that give us an opportunity to look at them and to apply some of those standards to our lives. We're just going to look at a couple of them. And the first one that I want to talk about is David and Jonathan. Now, you can find information, uh, the stories of, of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. Uh, in 1 Samuel 18.3, for example, 1 Samuel 18.3 gives us a, a real just quick synopsis of their love for each other. It says, And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. This is, uh, this is a, a common theme that you'll find here. So Jonathan and David were fast friends. They were uh, known to each other in and out. They had an honest love for one another. Now, that's interesting when you think about the fact that Jonathan's father, Saul, wanted to kill David. And there are many instances that you see Saul uh, attempting to kill David. And there are many instances where Jonathan is completely unaware that his father has that actual intent and believes that his father is completely honest with him in all things. But we do see that through that uh, interaction, Jonathan never says to David, you're a liar, how dare you talk about my family, I never want to see you again. He has such a love for this person. 
His friendship is so united with this other man that he puts before his father a test. And in 1 Samuel 20, you get to see where Jonathan actually realizes his father's true intentions regarding David. In 1 Samuel 20, um, he knows that what his father says about it has truth in it. And that truth, as Jonathan finds out, is as long as he is alive, you will never be king. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jonathan is the prince. Saul is the king. Normal secession, I mean, if you've watched Game of Thrones or anything, right? Barring any type of coup or overtaking of the throne, there's a secession that normally takes place. Uh, if you've watched, uh, uh, you've watched The Crown, for example, it gives you a great idea of how monarchies you know, uh, normally work. Now, Jonathan's reaction to his father saying this isn't self-preservation. Uh, his reaction to this is not about what his uh, position is or the fact that uh, he would not get to be prince as long as David was alive. His first reaction is not for himself and self-sustaining. His reaction is for his friend. He immediately leaves the feast and goes out as he had planned to the field that David was waiting for him. There's a whole thing with uh, he shoots an arrow and he tells a servant to go find it. And then when the, the servant has gone past where the arrow is, he, he says, no, no, it's way ahead of you, forward from you. But the servant picks up the arrow and that's the signal or whatever. But at the end of that interaction, uh, David and Jonathan actually meet up in person. And Jonathan, in verse 42 of chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, says... Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is a witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to the town. Just take into account what is said here. We have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. If you look back in verse 23 of this, you also see what I would call the secret to their great friendship. In verse 23, it says, And may the Lord make us keep our promises to each other, for he has witnessed them. There's a key ingredient that bonds these two men together in great friendship, and that key ingredient is God. Jonathan's Courageous love for David is an example of what friends can accomplish when their love for one another is caught up in their love of God. There's a lesson for us to learn there. We can also uh, take a look at moving on to Paul and Barnabas. Now Barnabas um, actually takes Paul along with him in his missionary journey to Antioch. And they spent a great deal of time together. Uh, this would what you would call, uh, funnily enough, uh, Paul's first missionary trip. 
even though Barnabas was the senior of them, uh, he was uh, already on uh, in the mission field when uh, Paul, before as Saul had his conversion on the road in Damascus, they spent a great deal of time together. And what was the purpose of them spending that time together? It was spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, when it became clear that there were some uh, definitions that needed to be made, some uh, specific uh, rules that needed to be set forward in regards to the Gentiles and what they needed to do, uh, they went back to Jerusalem. And as they went to leave on another uh, missionary trip, they had, uh, some would say, a falling out. There was a disagreement. Uh, We'll take a look at this disagreement and see how it speaks to their friendship with each other, though. In Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, uh, uh, starting in verse 36 uh, through to 41. Now, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. So they had a disagreement. It was all centered around um, John Mark. It was all centered around the actions during their first missionary trip when John Mark abandoned them uh, and did not continue on through it. And Paul was very set against not including him because he found him to not be dependable. Right? Uh, Barnabas had great faith in John Mark and believed that he would be dependable. So in their disagreement, they didn't throw up their hands, say, fine, we're just not going. They decided that it would be best to go ahead and go different directions. Paul and Barnabas' friendship, though, was so centered on serving the kingdom of God, even when they went separate ways, they still found a way for the mission to be a success, right? The Bible doesn't state that their friendship ended there. The gospel needed to be preached regardless of any type of disagreement. And that's what they did. Though they went their separate ways, they still completed the task one going one direction and one the next. It's not fine. I guess I'm not going. It was, I will go this way then instead. Then you have uh, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy share friendship as Paul is the mentor to Timothy, and Paul loved Timothy as a father. And you can see examples of that in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and in Romans. The friendship begins with a sense of common purpose, but it flourishes when both the student and the teacher are able to love each other in such a way that their friendship recognizes the greater purpose of the kingdom of God. 
And then the ultimate example, of course, is Jesus and his disciples. See, Jesus' relationship with the disciples is like the ultimate friendship, right? This, uh, in this way, Jesus' relationship with the Father and with his disciples demonstrate a perfect friendship. His close relationship with the disciples uh, put into perspective and on display uh, for us what it looks like to be Christian in friendship. In relation to his father, Christ was submissive. He was a servant. In relationship to the disciples, Christ was a teacher, which held a place of authority, but yet again he was a servant. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, starting in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. See, Jesus' words to his disciples shows that he has been a friend to his disciples all along. He has taught them. He has loved them. He has done this in a way that would lead them to the Father in heaven. Jesus shows what it means to love each other unto God by how he loves the disciples. So if we look at just these brief examples... Uh, you can see that there are key elements. True friendship will lead you to a pure joy in God. Uh, this would be that third level of Aristotle with Augustine thrown in. The commandment to love God and the commandment to love one another. Those are in submission to each other. True friendship leads you to joy. It exposes your sin and it encourages you. When Peter thought he was being a friend to Christ, Jesus was indicating that he would die, that he would be taken. Peter said, no, never. I will not allow that to happen. Jesus pointed out to him in that instance that that was sinful because it prevented Jesus from doing God's will. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, it said, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I would follow up with 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which says, Encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. 
See, the way to truly honor God in our friendships is to keep friendships with Him in mind. It's not, I am in a friendship with you. You are looking after me. I am looking after you. We are the sole entity that is. There's a, a third person in that trinity that exists. The only way to truly honor God is to make sure that he is the primary in our friendships. Pardon me. <clears throat> now, some of you are saying probably in your minds, well, James, that's great. You're talking about friendship, but it seems like you're saying that I can only be friends with Christians because that's the only way that God can be primary in relationship, right? Because that's the only way we have a true understanding of who God is. And I'm not saying don't be friends with non-Christians. I'm not saying cut yourself off from anybody else. But you still have a responsibility in that relationship. Just as I have a responsibility when I go to work and I associate with 300 people, some way, shape, or form, we have a responsibility to be a model, to be a mirror that reflects who God is properly to those that are around us. He cannot be torn from relationships with us as we interact with other people. Now, that does not mean that every other sentence has to be something pertaining to God. Have you ever had those friends that every other thing was, was about God? Did that, did that really seem helpful to you? Did that really speak to you? Especially when you knew that though they were talking like this, when they went away, they were being hypocritical. Kind of the, you know, say, do what I say, not what I do type of thing. But you do need to ask yourself what it looks like to be in relationship with a non-Christian. Um, what are you doing in that relationship? What is the purpose of being in that relationship? Uh, how are you being an example to them? Uh, how are you showing your priority for God in that relationship? What is the purpose of being in that relationship? I also feel I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, friendships with uh, members of the opposite sex. Now, the world would tell us that you cannot be friends with the opposite sex. Uh, you can watch any show, right? Uh, you've got the appropriately titled Friends, where at one point in time, they all had some type of sexual encounter, right? Uh, there's numerous uh, movies that the whole premise is that there's a, a friendship between a guy and a girl, the girl secretly wants to date, you know, wants to have a, a more romantic relationship with the guy, or the guy wants to have a more romantic relationship with the girl. There's one even appropriately titled Friends with Benefits, kind of tying into last week's sermon, right? 
But it's a common trope that you see, uh, that there will always be in a relationship with the opposite sex uh, at least one person that wants more, that it cannot do anything but lead to either a love or, quite honestly, a lust-type situation. Um, that's not the way that it has to be. I would tell you that that's not true. There is a way to be friends with the opposite sex and not have it go down one of those avenues. Now, as you develop friendships and relationships, I'm not saying that it won't necessarily turn into a greater relationship. Um, we'll talk more about families and, and that type of thing uh, next week, but I can tell you that one of the greatest things about my marriage to my wife is that we are great friends. And sometimes we get along great with each other, and sometimes we are mad at each other, and uh, we point things out that are problems, and uh, then we work towards solutions to the problems, and we continue to grow. But I also have relationships with other women who are not my wife. I've never had any type of lust type of situation with them. I have never flirted with them. I have never put myself into a situation that would be construed as uh, an inappropriate type of relationship. Not because I'm worried that something will happen, but it's a preventative measure, right? The key in all of those relationships with the opposite sex is I still remember first and foremost that I am in a relationship with God. And that relationship with God speaks to how I treat and relate to other people. Because we, we're made to be social, right? We're made to be in relationships. We're made in the image of God and God presents himself to us in relationships. So only when our relationships mirror the Trinitarian relationship, no matter who it's with, will we have a lasting and fulfilling relationship, a lasting and fulfilling friendship that lasts, that uplifts, that helps us grow. Only when we're willing to be truthful, when we're willing to point out areas of sin, when we're willing to rebuke, when we're willing to uh, overcome, to encourage, um, only when we are being godly friends. With God as our focus, can those friendships bring honor to Him? So I encourage you to examine your friendships and seek to be a better friend. Seek to bring friendships to the level that they should be. Don't allow them to linger in Aristotle's first or second level. Bring them to that third one that's clarified by Augustine. Bring honor to God in your relationship. Bring your friends up to where they should be. And overall, stop being a lazy friend. Relationships take work. So I have three questions for you today to spur some conversation and some cell groups.
And the first of those questions I want you to examine a little bit here is what is the basis of your friendship with your best friend? What is the basis of your relationship with your best friend? The third question. Do you have examples of different levels of friendship in your life? And what are they? So do you have examples of different levels of friendship in your life? And the third question, um, are there topics you avoid discussing because you are afraid to lose that friend? So I'd like you to examine your relationships with your friends and see if there are topics that you would avoid discussing because you are afraid of losing that friend. So go ahead and take opportunity to do that now. We'll have a discussion for a little bit and we'll go on.